0: Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. But we're talking about the life-changing power of God's Word. And we're gonna start with part of the greatest sermon that was ever preached. Of course, Jesus preached it. It's called, referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And as he's finishing this message, he says, "'Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I liken him unto a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains descend, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it didn't fall for its founded on the rock. Now, I I want you to notice that Jesus said, this is talking about people that are doers of the word. He said, "There's there's gonna be rain that descends against the house of your life. There's going to be floods. There's going to be winds. They're going to beat against your life. In other words, if you are a Christian, love God, and are doing the Word of God, you're going to have problems. There's going to, there, there's going to be situations. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be mountains. There's going to be giants that come against your life. And you say, please, can't you be more positive? I am positive you are going to have problems. There's going to be mountains. There's going to be situations. There's going to be giants that are going to come against your life. Jesus said so right here, right? Somebody said, well, I love God. I won't have any problems. No, what God says, if you love him, if you do his word, you'll get through those problems victorious on the other side. But he doesn't say you're not going to have any, Right? So so he said, that life is founded on the rock, the rock of the word of God. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, he's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now notice the same problems. The rain descend, floods came, wind blew, beat on that house, on that life, and it fell. And great was its fall. So Jesus is saying that it is the word of God that is going to put us over in life. Now notice he compares the person who hears and does the word to someone who builds their house on a rock. How many of you have ever laid on a rock? How many of you know it is not comfortable? It puts density, it it like rearranges you, right? On the other hand, sand is very comfortable. You you lay down on some sand and you just wiggle a little bit and and you get comfortable, right? It shapes to you, but you need, your shape needs to conform to the rock. And what Jesus is telling us is he's saying, God's word, your life, build on that word, it's solid, but you're going to change. The rock is not going to change. And so often what people really do is, is they think, that they're worshiping God, but they've just got a version of themselves and they call that God. It's what they like. It's what they don't like. And by the way, if you think God likes everything you like and God dislikes everything you dislike, uh, you, you are not worshiping the right God. You, you, you just got a version of yourself. Somebody said says, well, I just don't really understand the Bible. Let me just say something about that. I, I agree totally with Mark Twain, who said this, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. (laughs) Hello. The parts I do understand that are telling me you are messed up and you need to change. And this is what you need to do. In Ephesians 4, it says to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, he's talking here about our whole value system, our morals, our purpose. Everything needs to be changed. And how does it happen? It happens as the Word of God is taken in and digested. In Matthew 4, Jesus is in the desert. He's been there for 40 days, fasting and praying. Satan comes, and Satan said to Jesus, and then Jesus said, It is written. And then the devil said, and then Jesus said, it is written. And then the devil said, and then Jesus said, it is written. How many of you know, we are never going to improve on Jesus' way of defeating the devil. And what did he say to do? It is written. We defeat the enemy with the word of God. It's in Ephesians where it tells us to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And it is the only offensive weapon that is mentioned in Ephesians chapter six. It's God's word that has the ability in your mouth to defeat the devil. In Revelation, the Bible says that Jesus has a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. I remember listening to Rick Renner, Greek scholar. He he said that that two-edged sword represents, first of all, God speaking his word, but that second edge is when you speak his word right? That two-edged sword, the word of God becomes two-edged when God says it, and then you and I say it. But Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's saying that God's word is essential for our spiritual health, for our spiritual growth, right? Job said, I have treasured the words of your mouth more than my daily bread. So how important is that Bible supposed to be to you and me? More than our daily bread. When we get up in the morning, we ought to be going Bible before we go coffee. Somebody said, well, there's faith without coffee is dead. No, no, <laughs> that, is, that is not what the Bible said. Somebody said, but it's Jehovah Java. No, it's not, all right? It is not. We, we, we need to be more interested in Bible than in coffee, more interested in Bible than in breakfast. David went farther. He said, more to be desired are they your words than gold, yea, than much fine gold. I I read this morning how David gave a hundred thousand talents of gold. I wasn't able to figure out how much it is, but it's like billions of dollars in gold as a gift to build the temple, right? And he said, your word, should be desired more than gold, more than wealth. You know, We spend so much of our time chasing money, but the Bible says we should be more interested in God's Word. It is more precious than all the money that you and I can have. The Bible was not written for your information and it wasn't even written for your inspiration. Now I believe in inspiration. In fact, I'd rather have a little wildfire than no fire. But the Bible says that zeal without knowledge is not good. And here's what, I've seen this happen. You know, they'll be up here and everybody's worshiping God. The band's up here and we're out there. We got our hands up and and clapping and somebody's out there and they're clapping, they got their hands up and they're dancing around and they're, they're twirling around. But you know what? They're all inspired and they're happy. But when it comes time for prayer, they're the first one who needs the most prayer. Because inspiration alone will not change you. And information alone will not change you. The Bible was not written for our information solely or for our inspiration solely, but it was written for our transformation. It was written to change the way we think. And as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So it's in Hebrews chapter four that says that the gospel was preached to them as well as to us, but it did not profit them not being mixed with faith. Now the Bible is supposed to bring profit to your life, but it doesn't unless it's mixed with faith. So you can hear and hear and hear and hear and read and hear and read and hear, but it will not make a difference in your life. It will not profit you unless it's mixed with faith. And over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna talk about how you mix what you hear with faith because there is no profit benefit without the gospel being mixed with faith. And by the way, the word gospel, it simply means good news. And it's the good news about what Jesus has done for you and me in his death, burial, resurrection and ascension. But Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. Psalms one talks about the blessed man. It says his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law, he meditates day and night. Mark four, Jesus said, be careful what you hear, the measure of thought and study, meditation, that you give to the truth you hear, will be the measure of virtue and knowledge or power and knowledge that comes back to you and more besides will be given to you who hear. So the Bible is telling us that we need to meditate on God's word. It's necessary for our spiritual growth. It's necessary to remain strong spiritually. It gives us a biblical view of our world. It It literally helps us apply God's word to our lives. Now it's in James 1, it says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, immediately forgets what kind of man he is. So if you get up in the morning and you go over to the mirror, and there's wrinkles everywhere, your hair's going in all kinds of directions, right? You got little crusty things in the corner of your eye and one coming out of your nose. And and you look at that and you go, I need help. And then just put your clothes on and go to work and don't do anything. It did you no good, right? See, now the Bible is telling us that when we look in the word of God, we're gonna see ourselves, but we're gonna see ourselves differently. We're going to see ourselves victorious. We're going to see ourselves as the children of God. We're going to see ourselves as the righteousness of God. We're going to see ourselves justified by Jesus' resurrection. We're going to see ourselves with authority over the world, the flesh, and the devil, because that's who's in that Bible. That's who God is going to show you that you are in his word. But he says, if you look at that and you do nothing about it, It did you absolutely no good. It says you deceive yourself. Now, again, the Bible tells us to meditate on his word. Now, most of us have been exposed a lot to Eastern meditation. Now in Eastern meditation, by the way, it is the exact opposite of Bible meditation. In Eastern meditation, you empty yourself. You try to have no thoughts, no desires, and you just sit there and you try to get your mind to a place of total blank, total emptiness, right? Bible meditation is filling your mind, right? But it's filling your mind, not putting it in neutral, but filling it with the Word of God. And asking yourself, what does this mean to my life? How can I apply this in my life? talking to God about it, talking to other people about it, right? That's what, that's what meditation is. It's not emptying yourself, but it's filling yourself, right? I think we know what it is when we, we fill our mind with a prop. How many of you know what worry is? Because if, if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate, but you've just been meditating on the wrong thing, right? You've been meditating on the problem. But what we need to do is we need to meditate or focus not on the problem, but focus on God's Word, focus on what God has said about that situation, right? So if you know how to worry, you already know how to meditate, but you just need to switch your attention from the problems to the promise, to the verses in the Bible that cover your case. And literally, the more that you meditate on God's Word, the less you're going to be worrying, the less you have to worry about. Meditation is applying that verse, that Bible to your life personally. It's allowing the Holy Spirit, right, to take that Word and making it a reality in your heart, right? It's dwelling on the Word of God and what it means to my situation, how it changes, how I act and how I react. It's seeing yourself as God sees you, realizing the integrity of God's word. In Philippians four, it says, "'Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things have a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things, meditate on those things.' an opposing translation would kind of go like this. Whatsoever things cause doubt. Whatsoever things cause you to question God. Whatsoever things are rumor and hearsay. Whatsoever things are negative. Whatsoever things are mean. Whatsoever things are trashy. Whatsoever things are dirty. Whatsoever things are of a juicy report. Whatsoever things are of skeletons in the closet. If there's anything gossip worthy, think about those things, Unfortunately, A lot of people, we do the exact opposite of what it tells us to do. As you meditate in God's Word, it will change the way you see yourself. It will give you a winning attitude. It will cause you to be a doer of the Word and not just a hearer because you're gonna be applying it to your life. It gives you direction and purpose and literally a ability to change. David prayed and he said, create in me a clean heart and a steadfast or a strong spirit, Uh, your spiritual strength. That's where it comes from. He's saying, give me spiritual strength. So when I need to say no to temptation, I'm able to do that. It comes from meditation. Second Timothy three, the whole Bible is given to us by inspiration from God. It's useful to teach us what's true. And by the way, there is absolute truth and it's in the Bible. And it's not true because you think it's true or I think it's true. It's true because God says it's true. It makes us realize what's wrong with our lives. How many you know nobody wants to know nowadays what's wrong with their life, but the Bible's gonna tell you what's wrong. It straightens us out and helps us do what's right. You know, as we meditate in God's word, he's gonna show us what we need to do in our relationships. Forgiveness, you know, it, it, it literally changes the way you see yourself God's word is always for our good here's the problem a lot of us think that God wants to ruin our lives that God is a killjoy that that God is an old fogey and God just doesn't want me to have fun he doesn't want me to enjoy myself doesn't want me to have any pleasure but the exact opposite is true His statutes, which I command you today for your good, not for God's good, for your good, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. God doesn't tell us anything because he doesn't want us to enjoy life. The exact opposite. He said, if you will live according to my word, he said, you will have the best life. The kingdom of God, it's not meat and drink, it's righteousness, it's peace, and it is joy in the Holy Ghost. And some people think, well, I'm just gonna violate God's laws. Well, only thing you do is prove God's laws when you violate them, right? Because what happens when you violate that law, there is a consequence, right? Now, on the expressway, the speed limit, man's law says 70. You can go 80 and get away with it sometimes. Right? But you cannot violate God's laws and get away with it. Because God's not mocked, whatever a man sows, that he's also gonna reap. Now, here's the thing, you don't sow in the morning and reap in the evening. It might take a week, it might take a month, it might take a year, it might take a decade. But what you sow, you're going to reap. There are consequences. What we do is like a seed and eventually it brings a harvest. Says the grass withers, the flower fades but the word of the Lord, it endures forever, right? And I want you to remember, I've said this before, but God always works, his spirit always works in agreement with the word. In other words, the Holy Spirit never tells anyone anything that is contrary to the written word. The Holy Spirit inspired the word of God. He hasn't changed his mind. He's the Lord, he changes not. It says in Mark 16, the Lord worked with them confirming the word. People say, you never know what God's going to do. I don't know what God you serve, but my God is not schizophrenic. We do know what he's going to do. He's going to do exactly what he said. He said, yeah, but God, God, God can do anything. Yeah, but he limited himself by his word. He said, I watch over my word to perform it. He said, I've magnified my word above all my name. He said, if I don't do what I said, then I'm not who I claim to be. And of course, the Bible claims the unique privilege of speaking for God. In Isaiah 820, it says, "'To the law and to the testimony. "'If they don't speak according to this word, "'it's because there is no light, no truth in them.'" It says, if somebody disagrees with the Bible, they're wrong. Right? If your friends disagree with the Bible, they're wrong. If you disagree with the Bible, you're wrong. It's the Supreme Court, disagrees with the Bible, and they do on a regular basis. They're wrong. They're just wrong. God is right. Again, Psalms 119, verse 128, I consider your precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way, every way that disagrees with God. Hebrews 4, 2, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So we're gonna be talking about how to mix faith with what you hear, with the word of God. Now James, in first chapter, James is a pastor. He's pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And pastors are very, very practical. Right? And James gets right down where everybody lives, right away in the first chapter, he says, "If any one of you thinks he's religious but doesn't bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. And this one's religious; uh, religion is useless." He says, "Now you got to watch your words. If you can't tame your tongue, he said, you might think you're religious, you might think you're spiritual, but you are not." And then in the third chapter, he says, "Behold." we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body. So you get a thousand pound horse and you put a six ounce bit in that horse's mouth and you can stop that horse, you can turn that horse to the right, you can turn that horse to the left. And he says, just like that bit in the horse's mouth, your tongue acts in your body. He says, behold also ships, though they may be so great, they're driven by fierce winds. Yet, are they turned about with a very small helm or rudder, whithersoever the governor Listus or desires? So he says, in the same way that a boat may be in a storm, and the storm doesn't direct the, doesn't set the direction for the boat, but the rudder sets the direction. He says, as you go through life, you will go through storms. But the storm does not determine the direction of your life. Your tongue determines the direction of your life. Your tongue is the rudder to your life. Although it's small, it has an extremely disproportionate effect on your life. Even so, the tongue is a little member and it boasts great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindles. How many of you know one match can burn a million acres to the ground? He's saying your tongue is like that match. For the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. Now it says that your tongue sets on fire, the course of nature, or other translations say the wheel of nature, the course of your life the entire, it sets a person's entire life on fire. It's a fire that influences all of life. So your tongue sets your life on fire. And notice it says that your tongue is set on fire by hell. Now it's back in Ephesians where it says that we take the shield of faith with which we quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. So Satan's attacks are referred to as fiery darts. And notice the Bible says that your tongue is set on fire by hell. In other words, Satan uses the words that come out of your mouth to mess up your life. Job is an example. Job said, I feared a great fear. Now, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. He's got this great fear. He's talking about fear. And he says, and the thing that I greatly feared, it came upon me. What opened the door? What caused that? What set in motion nature? What set it in motion? His tongue set it in motion, right? The Bible says, and sets on fire the course or the wheel of nature. It begins things happening. It opens doors for the enemy to attack you with fiery darts or for God to bless you. Right, Dr. Cho pastors the largest church in the world in Seoul, Korea. Uh, Last time I heard, he was about eight hundred thousand members in his church, and so he's having uh, a lunch meeting with the leading neurosurgeon of Korea. And as they're talking, the leading neurosurgeon says to Dr. Cho, "Dr. Cho, he says we have a brand new discovery. He says we have discovered that the speech center of the brain controls the entire body." He says, when you say, I'm I'm old and I don't have any more energy, the speech center tells the rest of your body, you're old and you don't have any energy. When when you you, you say, man, I've got a lot of energy, the speech center tells the rest of your body, be energetic because you have got a lot of energy. Well, Dr. Cho says, I've known that a long, long time. And, and the leading neurosurgeon said, no, you could not know long time. He said, brand new discovery. We just discovered, brand new. Dr. Cho says, no, you know, for decades, you know, long, long time. And the leading, leading neurosurgeon said, well, how do you know? Who taught you this? He said, Dr. James. He said, who is Dr. James? Dr. James, New Testament. James chapter three, tongue, little member, control, whole body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jeannie and I, before we were ever married, uh, I I remember we were sitting on a park bench. Now, you got to realize this 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 happened quick. Some of you don't know our story. You know, we had our first date on May 1. I told her I loved her May 3 and asked her to marry me May 5. And we got married May 9. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> only the last part. Only the last part. We waited a few months. We think waited three months, three months, four months. Uh, in fact, th- that next month it's going to be 41 years of marital bliss. It is awesome. Awesome. All right. So, so we're, we're sitting on that bench and, and we're talking about faith. And I remember saying to Jeannie, and I said, Jeannie, I said, if I say something that I should not say, I want you to stop me and correct me. And she said, I want you to do the same thing for me. If I say something I shouldn't say, stop me and correct me. And, and, and there have been times she has said, I'll, I'll say something, she said, is that what you want? <laughs> uh-huh. And I go, No, it's not. No, it's not. No, I want you to remember, Jesus said that whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things that they say will come to pass. They'll have whatsoever they say, whatsoever they say. Now here's what almost all Christians do. Almost everybody says what they have. And so all they ever get is what they've got. I'll say that again. Almost everybody says what they have. And so all they ever get is what they've got. Jesus didn't say, say what you've got. He said, say what you want. Hello? Because you're going to have whatsoever you, whatsoever you say, if you believe in your heart. All right. So David said this. He said, I will guard my ways. Least I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle. He's saying, I'm gonna make sure that I am not saying the wrong things. Again, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, listen, God's word was first spoken. It proceeded out of where? The mouth of God. And then it was written, right? But it was written so that you could say it. Got that? It was written so you could say it. In fact, when Jesus did this, what was he doing? He was speaking the word of God. Go back, Joshua eight. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Isaiah 59 my words which I put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth nor out of the mouth of your descendants nor out of the mouth of your descendants' descendants from this time forth and forevermore. Isaiah 57. God said, I create the fruit of the lips. Job 22. You will also decree or declare a thing. It will be established for you. So light will shine on your way. And when they cast you down and you say, and you what? What are you supposed to do when you get cast down? Say, exaltation will come. Say, God is going to get me out of this problem, all right? Somebody said, well, I'm just too tired, I'm just weak. That's why Joel said, let the weak say, I am strong. David said, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Psalms 107, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Hebrews 13, therefore we will boldly say, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Romans 8, what shall we say to these things? When problems come, you are supposed to say. What do most of us do? We say the wrong thing. We say, man, this problem's big. Man, this mountain's big. Man, this huge, it's huge, it's killing me. No, you're saying the wrong thing. He said, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or principalities, powers, things, present, things to come, height, depth, or any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 10. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. It says... Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven that is to bring Christ down or to bring Christ down from above or who will descend into the abyss to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. Even the word of faith, which we preach. 2 Corinthians 4, 13. Since we have the same, the identical spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. We speak. We can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. He's on my side. When sickness shows up, we say, he forgives all my iniquities and he heals all of my diseases. When fear shows up, we say, God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. When life knocks you down and you say, and you say, you say what God says about your situation, he is watching over his word to perform it. He has magnified his word above all of his name. And one of the ways that we add faith to the word that we hear is by speaking what God says about our situation. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment We all know God sits high, but we need to remember that God watches low, that there is no problem, difficulty, situation, addiction, hurt, rejection, sorrow, pain that you have faced, that he has not felt the feelings that you are going through. So Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying, I have freedom for you. I have forgiveness for you. I have healing for your soul, help for every need, hope for your future. Jesus said that the thief, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I want to beg you not to let the devil steal, kill, and destroy in your life one more day. Jesus said, I've come that you can have life. And you can have it abundantly. And if you're here today and you're not right with God, you're away from the Lord, you need forgiveness. You need to come to God. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand in a moment. We're going to count. I'm going to count to three. At three, please lift that hand. We're going to pray. And when we say amen, you're going to be forgiven. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be a part of this family on your way to heaven. You'll have taken the first step to living that abundant life that he has for you. As you lift your hand today, the first thing you're saying is, I know I need a savior and I'm coming to Jesus to be forgiven and to be saved, one. As you lift your hand, you're saying, I'm not gonna let the enemy steal, kill and destroy my life and my family one more day. I'm coming to Jesus. To receive the abundant life that He has for me. Two, now get ready. As you lift that hand, you're saying, God, today, I'm coming to Jesus and I'm giving all of my heart, all of my life. He's gonna come into my heart, He's gonna blood wash me from my sin, make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up. Lift it up, say, Pray with me. I'm not right. I'm not right, but I want to get right. I want, I want that forgiveness today. Thank you. I see that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand. Are there others? Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Others? Include me, Pastor. Thank you. One more hand over here. Another hand there. Thank you. All right. And ask everybody to stand up. But if you lifted your hand, please look right at me. If you're in the balcony, this is for you want you to move to the aisle that's nearest you, bring the person you came with, bring your purse, your Bible, whatever you need, but make your way right down here. God is going to meet us right here. And we're going to say amen in just a moment. When we say amen, your past is going to be gone. From the balcony, please just make your way down. We're going to wait for you. We're going to pray. God is going to do a miracle in your life today. This is your day. Jesus said, You confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who's in heaven. This changes people's lives. Awesome. Come right on down. Are they making it from the book? Awesome. Awesome. All right. Romans chapter 10, in verse 13. Now, there's some more coming down from the balcony, all right? This is what it says. I want you to listen carefully. It says, whosoever. That means you. Right? Now, in your mind, you can think, well, I've done so many things, but this is going to work for you. We'll call on the name of the Lord. We're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. And this is God's promise. We'll be saved. All right? So when we say amen, you're going to be forgiven. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be a part of the family of God on your way to heaven, right? I want to pray this prayer with you that I prayed 43 years ago, still working. And 43 years from now, if Jesus tarries, it's still going to be working in your life. Come on down. All right, everybody, would you please just take one hand, put it over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven, and let's pray together. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I receive him today as my king. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer, that my past is gone, that I am your child, a part of your family on my way to heaven in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616 534 4923 or visit us at reslife.org.